0: Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja digital marketing podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen, head ninja at Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency and best selling digital marketing author. In this episode, I'm joined by Nick Tuxford, one of our SEO team leaders here at Exposure Ninja, and Marie Haynes, who's a Google penalty expert. Now we're talking with Marie about all sorts of things, including the Google thread update, how to avoid and recover from Google penalties, and the difference between good links and bad links. We also talk about things like how usage metrics on your website can impact your site's ranking on Google, and why the days of PBN's private blog networks are numbered. So if you want to know how to future-proof your SEO, then this is going to be a really useful episode. And while I have your attention, don't forget to head over to our Facebook group, the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Mastermind. This is a private group, so just request entry and we'll let you in, where digital marketers and business owners of all shapes and sizes from around the globe get their questions answered by other members of the group and members of the Exposure Ninja team. So if you have any questions about digital marketing, you want some feedback on your website, then head over to Facebook and search for Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Mastermind, and we look forward to seeing you there. There's also actually one of my favorite episodes to record, Marie gives some fantastic advice, and opinions on things that aren't often covered by the mainstream SEO media. So keep an eye out for those and enjoy. So Marie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So for those who are living under an SEO rock and haven't heard of you yet, maybe you could give a bit of an introduction into your corner of the SEO world and maybe take us through your story from becoming a a vet to an SEO consultant.
1: I was a veterinarian for many years, for 13 and a half years, but I've always had an interest in anything to do with the internet. I created a website for my clients to be able to ask me questions online And I couldn't figure out why nobody from Google was ever finding my website. So that's what started my interest in SEO. And I would take part in all sorts of forums online regarding SEO. And then in 2012, Google ran their first Penguin algorithm, and it freaked everybody out in the SEO world. And so the forums were all crazy with nobody understood it at all. And I think at first, we didn't even know that it was mostly about links. I mean, there was a lot that we didn't know. And so at the same time, I was pregnant, and I was put on bed rest. And so here I have the entire day to just sit on my couch and learn about Penguin. And so it became my, almost my passion in life was to understand Penguin as as well as I could. People started in forums, started asking me, well, hey, could you review my site? And I would say, well, no, I'm not an SEO. I'm a veterinarian. You know, This is just a hobby for me. And yet people were begging me to uh, review their site. So I started to do some for free. And basically all I would do was get access to Google Analytics and tell them whether their traffic had dropped coincidental with a, either a penguin or a panda update. And then it, it just sort of grew from there. Once I felt like I had enough knowledge to actually charge some money, I I charged a small amount of money for a report that I would produce. And then over, I mean, over the last five years, that report and my knowledge as well has has grown significantly. And the report is a lot more expensive now. And it's just, it's grown from there. So when it came time for me to go back to work as a veterinarian, I was making more money doing SEO stuff and enjoying it and working from my couch still so here we are i mean i'm still licensed as a vet but uh, i thoroughly love what i do today and and my entire day is is filled with seo now
0: that's incredible do you think it's a similar it's like finding and fixing problems which is is that's kind of veterinarian and seo particularly the penalty piece that you that you're so uh so, so kind of tuned to is is that something in, in your behavior and your in your character that you find particularly interesting,
1: for sure. Because the 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 thing that I liked the most about being a vet was the really tricky cases. So if some you know dog came in that had been to see three other vets and nobody could figure out what was wrong with it, and and I would be the one that would spend hours and hours researching the case and find this rare disease or something, you know. And so diagnosis was a huge part of my joy of of being a veterinarian. And then it's the same thing here. I mean, I, I spend most of my days now diagnosing why are sites not performing as well as they should be and in most cases coming up with solutions. So yeah, it's the same, it fuels the same joy in me, I would say.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's fantastic. So. The kind of issue of diagnosis, I think, let's let's start there. And and one of the most common questions that people usually have is, I think my ranking has dropped. How do I know if I've been hit by a penalty or how how do I know if it's maybe something else? So when you're kind of analyzing a a site as a potential penalty case, what are the sort of main indicators that you're looking for?
1: So the first thing that I would look for is whether the site has a manual action from Google. And a manual action would be where somebody from Google's web spam team has physically taken a look at your site and has made the decision to put some type of an action on the site. And that's a pretty easy thing to check because if you have a manual action, you can go into Google Search Console. And even if you don't currently have Google Search Console set up, you can set it up and the manual action will be present there. So you look at, click on search traffic and there's a spot for manual actions This is kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if anybody else knows this, but every time you click on manual action, there's like a a two second wait before they actually show you whether you have manual actions. It's like the worst suspenseful two (laughs) seconds ever. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my brain that does that. But anyways, if you have a manual action, it will be shown in there and then you can deal with it. If you don't have a manual action, that's where things get tricky because there are so many reasons for your traffic to drop. And it could be that a particular algorithm doesn't like your site. It could be a technical issue. It could be, you know, maybe your site is not actually resolving for a lot of people, or maybe your site is loading so slowly that people are just clicking away. And so, I mean, the whole process that I go through to diagnose a traffic drop is is fairly lengthy, but in brief, what I'm doing is looking at Google Analytics and isolating just the Google organic traffic and then looking to see if there's a drop that coincides with a date where we think there was an algorithm update and seeing is the drop just in Google? Because if you have a drop that also affects your Bing traffic and you know other types of traffic, then uh, it's less likely to be an algorithm change that that affected you. And so, I, I mean, I have a whole long process that I go through to try to weed out all of the possible causes.
2: Do you tend to find that, that your clients are surprised they've had a manual action or do you do you find that they kind of already sort of see it coming because they know they, they've kind of misbehaved as such?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the vast majority <laughs> of cases that come to me, they, they have received the email. If you get a manual action from Google, you'll get an email from Google. Uh, but I have had some cases where, Actually, I just had one last week that came to me because their traffic had dropped and they, for whatever reason, didn't have Google Search Console set up. And so we set it up and sure enough, there's the manual action. But most of the time, it's not a surprise, especially with unnatural links penalties. I think in the early days when they were handing out these penalties, a lot of small businesses would get them and have no clue what they were about because they had just hired somebody to do marketing for them and they had no idea what google's guidelines were but these days all of the sites that i see that get unnatural links actions they knew that they were crossing lines in regards to google's algorithms so i think it's it's pretty rare that it's a surprise
0: we always ask people have you done any seo before and so many times they'll say, "Oh, yeah, we've 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 done a bit," you know, and you start looking into their their previous history, and there's just a ton of rubbish in there. There's so much, you know, junk, and they've clearly been quite heavily pounding, uh, you know, lo- low quality SEO. It maybe doesn't happen so much anymore, but I don't know. For some reason, people just seem to be embarrassed to even admit this. So I'm guessing that the first stage is for people to actually admit that they might need some help and <laughs> kind of just be honest with your SEO company. It's not like we're gonna tell you off, is it? It's we're just trying to. Just trying to diagnose as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, you're you're totally right. I've had so many cases where uh, they'll admit to, they'll say, "Well, you know, I think we have a penalty because negative SEO, uh, our competitors are doing this and that, and pointing links at us." And and then when I look at it, I'll say, "Well, what about this link?" in... That you know, I'll get an argument as to why. Oh no, no, those are good. You know, well, we paid for them. (laughs) We paid for them, but they're on good sites, so those can't be the problem. So you're right. I mean, there are cases where the businesses. I don't know if they're trying to hide the history, or maybe they're just oblivious to it. And I do think that it's gotten better over the last couple of years. So when I first started doing this, I mean, I remember I had a case where I was doing my link audit. And I came across a link that it was like a really short blog post on some somebody's blog spot site that was like, oh, I just found this great product. You can buy keyword anchored link at this store. And that was the blog post. And I'm like, that looks like a paid link, you know? And they said, no, 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 that blogger just really likes us. And then I found another one like that and another one. And there were like hundreds of bloggers that had randomly mentioned that they could buy this product at this store. And what it turned out was that they had signed up for, um, there used to be all sorts of programs where bloggers would get paid something like $5 every time they linked to one of the partners. And the site owner could not see that as an unnatural link. You know, they said, well, the blogger decided on their own to, to put this link. You know, it didn't matter. Well, they got paid for it, you know? So yeah, I, I do think sometimes site owners are oblivious to what actually is and isn't natural. It's getting more and more now that the, the sites that get penalized, they know that there were, they were pushing boundaries.
0: So let's talk a bit about the um, unnatural link, the manual actions. Are you still seeing many of these? Because we don't see that many these days.
1: There was a period of time over the last year where I didn't have any requests at all for help with unnatural links penalties, which, I mean, for the longest time, I was getting them several times a week. And I I still have seen lots of requests for other types of penalties. Uh, pure spam seems hmm. to be pretty evident that Google's giving out a lot of those. And then it feels to me like in the last couple of months, Google's picked it up again on manual actions for unnatural links. And I think that uh, my theory is that they've become really good with Penguin at determining which links they can just ignore now. And now they're honing in on different types of links. So a particular type of paid link might be on their radar. And I feel like Google gives out manual actions at this point, and then a future iteration of Penguin will probably be able to deal with that algorithmically. And I do feel like eventually we're going to get to the point where there aren't any unnatural link penalties manually from Google and that everything is dealt with algorithmically, but we're not there yet. So yes, we do still see manual actions for unnatural links.
0: So the unnatural link, the manual actions are there because those links are like an indication that Google doesn't feel that the algorithm is particularly good at, at understanding the that those links are low quality. So those links are likely to be having a positive impact on ranking. So therefore, Google has to reach out to people manually and say, you need to remove these links.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, Penguin, when Penguin first came out, it really only went after the most obvious spammy links. And then it got a little bit better with other iterations of P- Penguin, and but it's still not perfect. And there are, there are links. So part of the problem is, for example, if somebody's done widespread guest posting on relatively authoritative sites, Penguin might not recognize that at this point, but a manual review could. And I think that they're probably continually learning from all of the manual reviews that they do and then the the engineers will work on including that as part of Penguin eventually.
2: And do you think people are are perhaps getting a bit more cocky again because of the latest Penguin update and this talk about it it sort of being real-time and you know being able to just affect the authority of the link rather than the full site and people are sort of going oh okay well then I can just build up these links and hope Google doesn't notice and it's not going to affect the overall authority of my site. If they don't like it, they'll just ignore it.
1: Yeah, I really thought that I was going to see that on a, a wide scale cuz that was one of the first things I thought was if Penguin is just going to ignore unnatural links and it doesn't actually penalize your site, then where's the risk in, you know, trying to push the boundaries other than you could get a manual action. And I'm sure it's happening but I'm not seeing it. So I'm and maybe that's because people are getting away with it and not getting caught. So they don't need my services. But I I don't know, I'm sure that people are pushing the boundaries, but I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that so far.
0: So let's talk about if someone has a has a penalty, and you've identified it, for the sake of arguing, let's say that we've identified that there's an algorithmic reason why why they're not ranking, what would be just a very broad, very broad kind of picture. What would be your recovery process that you use?
1: Well, it really varies. Well, I say it varies, but now it's becoming all about just overall quality, which sounds like sort of a an easy thing to say. in In the past, it was so easy that we could look at, we, you could look at Google Analytics, and you could say, "Oh, you were you were hit on this date, so that was Penguin, so that means you have to deal with links." Or you were hit on this date, and that was Panda, and you have to deal with these specific issues. And now that both Penguin and Panda are built into the core algorithm, it, it, whenever we see significant shifts in Google's algorithm, it's rarely just one thing. It's rarely that we can say, "Oh, you need to look for thin content," or "You need to, you know, you need to clean up this one thing." And so now the process that I go through is trying to figure out, I mean, number one, are there technical issues that are potentially holding the site back? So a a full site audit is always a a good recommendation to do. And number two, are there things that are really obviously annoying to users? So if you have big pop-ups, if you have ads that kind of look like they're not ads, if you, I'm not all pop-ups, I should say, not all pop-ups are bad, but if you have the type of pop-up that just makes people get frustrated and leave your site, That's the type of thing that can catch up with you algorithmically. The third thing that I look at is take a look at your competitors and just see, are they better serving the user than you are? And I really feel like Google's algorithms, the latest updates have gotten much better at determining actual quality without looking at things like how many times is the word on your keyword on the page or, you know, things that we could quantitatively measure. And instead, and I believe this is probably due to the way that machine learning is figuring out what people like, what users like. Instead, now Google's getting better at saying, you know what, people actually prefer this site. And what I find in most cases is that I can look at uh, your site and then I can look at the sites that are beating you in rankings and say, well, you know what, this site that's number one has like, it's way easier to navigate. It has videos to help me. It has... All these amazing things, and so it becomes less it, my reports have gotten ten times as long now because <laughs> th- it's rare that it's one thing. It's usually you know let's figure out everything we can do to improve the overall quality of the site so that was, that was kind of a long answer to your question, but the, the the reality is that you can't put it into a you know I can't write a blog post of here's how you in you know in, improve from an algorithmic hit it's It's very unique to every site that that I look at.
0: I think one of the problems that we've had in the past is that people are looking for that one, you know, oh, there must be one little tiny thing, which is suppressing my ranking. And as soon as I just flick that switch, I'm going to be back to normal, and everything's going to be great. Quite often, I-, I don't know if you agree, quite often, it's like, they haven't updated things, they haven't changed, they haven't grown over the last couple of years or whatever. And actually, what they're seeing as a quote, unquote, penalty is actually like you're saying, they've just failed to improve their site and improve their authority over the last couple of years or something. And actually, what they're really seeing isn't actually a penalty at all. It's just a general decline in visibility and quite deservedly so because the site isn't good enough to compete in that market anymore.
1: Exactly. And I see it all the time that there's just a slow erosion of uh, traffic that comes. And it might not even be that your site is doing anything wrong. It's It's often the case that new sites emerge and do a better job and whether it's they're doing a better job or maybe google is recognizing that they do a better job with that said i mean i have sites that i run that i haven't updated in a long time that do really well so often good content can can still win out even if you, you don't have to always be constantly updating it but i do think that a lot of the time people are looking for that quick you know find this and fix it and then everything will be fine. And that does, it does, does sometimes happen, but not often.
2: And um, so let's talk about examples then. Do you have a really good success story that you can think of that you could tell us about and the process that you used to help that site?
1: Sure. I, I mean, I have lots of neat stories. but The one that comes to my mind right now is a, a site that came to me a few years ago, and they had a a manual action for unnatural links. And they had hired an SEO company that had done a very aggressive link buying. They created all sorts of microsites and linked back with keyword anchors. And we were able to get that penalty removed. So the the process, it's the same now that it was several years ago, was download a list of all the links you can get. So I use multiple sources uh, for that. And then I don't rely on tools very much. I mean, there are. I see all sorts of people making mistakes with relying on algor- or um, tools that just algorithmically determine which links you're supposed to get rid of. What I'll do is I'll I'll actually look at one link from every domain that's linking to the site. Which it takes a really long time, but that's the only way that you can be certain that you're not going to be uh, getting rid of good links and and that you're going to deal with all of the bad links. And so that process, it took a bit of time to go through that, but basically identified the links that Google would be determining as unnatural. And then we created a spreadsheet and made a whole document of what we did to try to get those links removed. So in some cases, we had the power to actually remove those links ourselves. In other cases, we emailed site owners and, and so we documented all of this. And then whatever links we couldn't get removed, we put in a disavow file, and then we filed for reconsideration. And in this case, with our first attempt, Google lifted the penalty. And it was a very interesting case because we saw a slight increase in rankings, but nothing more than that. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes we can remove a manual action. And if your site doesn't actually have any good links pointing to it, then you may never see a recovery. But this was a site that I really felt should have seen a significant recovery and they didn't. And so here's the interesting part of the story. They went on for 2 years not seeing any recovery. So we did we cleaned up thin content. We we beefed up content. We we they actually they switched to https. They did they ended up spending the next 2 years improving the site's content. And still, I felt like they were suppressed, and so I did a, a post on the Google Help Forum saying, you know, I think this site is suppressed, and I can't figure out why. And and contacted a contact that I have in in Google, and and they said, uh, oh, uh, things should look better soon, and that was nice. I thought, okay, maybe somebody's going to flip a switch or something. Well, then the next day, what we're calling Fred happened, and this site—I've never seen such a recovery. I mean, they they're ranking top 3 for most of their keywords now and, uh, and and it's fantastic. I mean it's the they're they're doing well financially <laughs> and so it's hard to say what happened there. I mean we we did all of the the cleanup. Google will say that there's no lasting stigma after you have a manual action and you've cleaned it up. And I thought for years that they were still suppressed by penguin, but they didn't see improvement when Apparently all Penguin suppressions were lifted. And so who knows? I, I I kind of, maybe this is egotistical of me, but I kind of think that Google took a look at that case and went, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with our algorithms. We're suppressing good sites. And mm. then they made changes and that was Fred. But <laughs> but who knows? Uh, it, it may have already been in the works and it was a huge coincidence. But, uh, but yeah, that's one interesting story.
2: Mm. It's still a bit of a mystery, I feel, that there still seems to be a, a bit, of the unknown about, about Fred and, and there have been people kind of offering details of it, but there's no kind of concrete. Yes, this is Fred in the same way that perhaps we've had with previous algorithms where, where we've had a real kind of clear cut. Okay. This is what's going on. Whereas I feel kind of Fred is still a bit. Oh, well, it might be this and it might be hitting these guys and it might be hitting, you know, these kind of sites, but there doesn't seem to be enough concrete evidence to, to suggest either way. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that's always been the case for most of the the core algorithm updates that Google makes. Now, Google actually, the, I mean, the name Fred is not something that Google, it's not like Google said, hey, we're doing a big algorithm change today and and we're going to call it Fred. I mean, the, the whole story is that it was a sarcastic response that Barry Schwartz from Search Engine Roundtable asked Gary Eash if, uh, from Google if there had been an update and, and their response is always, well, we make several updates every day. So, you know, we could call every one of them, Fred, and then they decided to call whatever, you know, we knew that something big had happened on that day. And then it turns out later on that Google said, well, you know what, we actually made several changes around the same time that everybody is calling Fred now. So there was something that happened on, I think it was March 7th that we really feel Google made a better ability to detect links from private blog networks. So that was part of it. And I think that a lot of people who had sites that relied on private blog networks for links saw big drops at that time. And then the next day, I really feel like Google just got better at determining quality. And I think that so the majority of the sites that I've seen that were hit strongly by what we call fred they were sites that really didn't deserve to rank in the first place and people would say well i have, but i have you know 2000 words of content on this page but when you read it it's pretty <laughs> rare that like it's pretty unlikely that somebody was actually going to digest all that content so it looked good for search engines but it wasn't good for users and i i honestly think fred just became uh, google being better at determining what users want and i think that most of the updates that we're going to see in the future are going to be pretty vague like that, too. You know, they're going to be ways that Google is uh, that you can't quantify that you can. When I started looking at sites that have been hit by Fred, every single one of them I opened up, I thought, if I saw this on a link audit, I would instantly say, oh, yeah, the link coming from this was made for SEO purposes. And and, and I can't I mean, some of them you can look at. They were um, what I want to say, like WordPress news theme Type sites. Now, that's not saying that if you use a WordPress news theme that you're going to have problems, but rather the sites that were built to just link out for SEO purposes often looked like that. So, and I'm I'm probably rambling a little bit about Fred, but the point is that it just became better a better way to assess quality, in my opinion.
0: It's music to my ears that that Google's starting to clamp down on PBNs because for me that's like. PBNs shouldn't still be a thing. I can't believe that they're still effective. And yet we see sites the whole time I was talking to a, a site owner for a she's an she owns a bunch of different adult properties and her current SEO team is using PBNs. And it's it's all they do. And I'm like, how has Google not picked up on these yet? This is ridiculous that these sites are dominating this market using this strategy. So I can't wait till PBNs are no longer a thing. What's the purpose of Google's updates? Like you, you said there, the sites that were being hit by Fred, you open them and you could tell and that they were just there for SEO purposes. And it feels like it, it it's like that, isn't it? We can't necessarily enunciate exactly what it is that makes these sites feel bad. But if you spend enough time looking at websites, as soon as you see a low quality site, you just know you don't need to look at its spam score or anything like that. You just kind of know. So it's, it must be tapping into these things which are which we're not necessarily conscious of. But you know, we, we can feel so is, is Google just trying to understand what better is or what more useful is, or is it just trying to mimic human behavior? What's the point of all these algorithm updates?
1: Well, I think it, it makes sense for Google that they want to present the best options to people. And I mean, for the longest time, if you remember years ago, let's say I was looking to buy car insurance and I Googled best car insurance in my area. Probably the sites that are going to come up at the top are, you know, buy best car insurance in city.com. And, and, you know, and those didn't really serve my interests well. And today, when I Google that, I'm going to see like, well, recognizable brands that are at the top. And people will always say, Oh, Google has a brand preference. And it's not that Google has a brand preference. It's that people have a brand preference. And similarly, if I I work with a lot of uh, sites that are e-commerce stores, and they're really upset because Amazon, Google—they're—they're they're saying Google's favoring Amazon. It's not that Google's favoring Amazon; it's—it's it's people. So when I go to buy a product, again, I—I I don't want to. I'm less likely to buy from like BuyGreenWidgets.com in this city, you know. I and, and instead, I would—I know and I trust Amazon, and so Google is. Trying to uh, present people with the results that are going to make them the happiest, and then, I mean they don't get it right all the time. There's still lots of areas where I look at results and go, "Oh my goodness, how does how is this site ranking?" But they're getting much much better at it.
0: That's really interesting, particularly with e-commerce, because it's, it's usually people who have a, you know, let's say that two companies are selling the same product. There's an e-commerce independent e-commerce site that's selling a product, and then there's Amazon selling a product, and the e-commerce site is saying, "Well, what you know? Well, how how can we beat Amazon?" And then you go on their on their product page, and there's two sentences of description, no reviews, and one picture. And then you go on Amazon, and there's like three hundred user-generated reviews, huge amount of information, related products, information about the manufacturer, you know, and and it's like, well, okay, so Google is clearly giving the site that deserves to rank the ranking. And your site isn't going to compete against that because it's not as useful. There's nowhere near as much content. And actually, from a human's point of view, that's just not a useful page. So it's kind of focusing on quality, isn't it? And with every successive algorithm, we just get closer to saying, okay, you just need to make a better website, make it more and more useful, and actually provide more reason for Google to justify Putting your site above Amazon than to just say, Okay, it should just be free for all. We should be able to compete with Amazon. You know it, it should just be equal
1: exactly. And I think it goes even deeper than that. So that same e-commerce site, perhaps they could work really hard on getting more reviews and they add some videos and they uh, you know and they they do all the right things, and they may still not outrank Amazon. And it might be think of it from a user's perspective. So, I have an account on Amazon. I can buy my, I I know that if I search for the product there, I'm going to find it. I have to click one button and it's, I don't have to put in my shipping address. I don't have to put in my credit card because it's already on file. It's much less likely that I'm going to go to an e-commerce store that I've never heard of, create an account, put my address down, you know, get a, like go through the whole process. Right. And so that's tough. I'm not saying that you can't ever beat Amazon because I've seen it happen. But I think that often we're stuck in the mindset that we had years ago where you could take a page that was mediocre. And if you did good SEO stuff to it, you could make it rank well. For example, you know, getting, if you got a few links, you got your keywords just right, you know, you got your title tag just right. And Those days are changing and that the way to be the best site in Google's eyes is to be the best site, which sounds a little cliche, but that's where people need to be heading is uh, thinking, how can I make it so that people 100% without a doubt want to buy from my site as opposed to any other site?
0: I want to ask you about uh, what I call stickiness. So. A few years ago, or how I how I first started was was building a bunch of websites for tradesmen. And it was in, you know, two thousand and ten to two thousand and twelve. So they'd all have exact match domains, very basic sites. Many of them aren't mobile friendly because they were built before that was a thing. Lots of these still rank top of Google for really, really competitive phrases, much to the joy of their owners. But it feels like there's a stickiness in some uh, searches where Google needs to see that a new site is dramatically better than the established results in order to kind of unseat them. Is that something that you've noticed?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't have any, you know, proof or direct words from Google that I could back this up with. But again, think of it from a user's perspective. So think, here's here's an example. Let's say I have, I'm looking for a chocolate chip cookie recipe. And so I Google and I find this great recipe at number one and I do, I make it, it's fantastic. And then three months from now, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to make chocolate chip cookies. And I Google again and trying to find that recipe. Now imagine if the first page has completely changed, that's not a good experience for me as a searcher, right? I, I want to be able to find what I found before. And so I think in many cases, Google says, well, we're happy with the way results are we don't want to make too many changes because that's going to confuse people and so in order for a new site to emerge onto the first page or into the first result they really do have to be significantly better and again i see this all the time with e-commerce i'll see people saying like why can't we get any rankings we're just as good as everyone else and that's the point right i mean you you if you yeah. are trying to rank number 1 you can't be just as good as everyone else you have to be by far the best option. And even John Mueller from Google says this all the time in Hangouts. He says, what do you have on your site that if a Google engineer was to look at your site, that they would say, oh, something's wrong with our algorithms if we're not ranking this site well. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah. again, I mean, it's, it's in the old days of SEO, we could say, well, change this, change that. And you can trick Google into considering your site the best. And now it, it, it again comes down to like, really making your site the best option for people.
0: So Marie, how does Google tie all of this in with with kind of usage metrics? What does Google know about the people that are using our websites? And how do you think that information manifests in in search results and rankings?
1: Okay, so what I'm going to say here is totally all theory, which I like to to make that clear because I don't want to make it sound like this is exactly 100% for sure. I honestly do believe that Google is using information that they get from people who use Chrome and people who use Android as browsers. I do think that they can get all sorts of user engagement metrics. Now, Google has said flat out that they don't use your Google Analytics data. So it's not like they go in and say, oh, your bounce rate is worse than your competitors, so we're going to rank your competitors first. But rather, I think, they can find ways to say that, oh, users are actually engaging with this site. So I have a, a a friend of mine that a few years ago I created a site for him. And it's not a fantastic site, but it outranks some pretty big players in the industry. And I honestly believe it's because he has a he has a lead form, a lead generation form front and center on the on the homepage, and people fill it out. And I do believe that Google can see that. Okay, people are engaging with this form, they're trusting the site enough to uh, engage with it, and that that's a ranking factor and this the site ranks number 1 for like everything. And if you remember, I want to say it was a couple years ago, Google made a big announcement about how you, we should not be hiding our javascript and our css in our robots.txt file, and I think that this is what this was about. That Google, I think that they can see like if you, most of the time when you have javascript on your site, it's something that people engage with. And so I think Google wants to see like, hey, I'm not saying that you can't rank without JavaScript, but if you have some neat little tool on your site and people are actually using it and Google can't see that, then that could potentially hurt you. Um, so, you know, those are all theories. But if you try to think of, like, how does Google know which sites are the most use- useful? I think that those are all factors that they can. They're just trying to find ways to see which sites people engage with.
2: We could um, perhaps read the same sort of thing into internal links and and compelling content that gets people to want to read more really good on-site blog. We're really pro businesses having blogs, regardless of whether blogging is their main thing. Do you think perhaps Google kind of looks at that sort of on site interaction in the same way?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, it makes sense, right? That if I go to your site and read an article and then I'm enticed to read another article and I end up spending 30 minutes reading articles on your site, that's a pretty good indication that your site is useful to me. But, you know, how Google measures that, I don't know. It was interesting you said about internal links, I have a the theory that Google, not just for internal links, but external links as well, that that Google is getting, they're able to figure out what a good link is by determining how often people click on it. I almost wonder if that's how they're comfortable saying that the Penguin algorithm doesn't demote sites anymore. Because now they can say, well, you know what, there's this link that, say it was created in a blog network or on a low-quality article site or something that nobody's ever going to read, they can say, well, you know what, nobody's ever clicking all these links, so they're probably not that valuable, so we'll just ignore them. Whereas, you know, you get a link on an article that people read and actually click on the link, then those links could be more helpful. I I could see that working.
0: For me, a lot of this stuff is, you know, Google has the usage data from Chrome, it has usage data from Android, it has usage data from analytics as well even though it says it's never used it and like you say about the the cl- link click throughs why wouldn't google do that right if it's trying to make the most intelligent solution here all of that stuff is is so so important isn't it so for me it's kind of like i don't know how we could how we could imagine that google isn't using that stuff that is such a logical way of of prioritizing links and understanding how how natural and useful they are
1: yeah, it makes sense to me. I, I read an article by Bill Swalski the other day, and he was writing about a particular patent that Google had. Now, they may not be using this patent, but it was interesting that part of the patent said that if there was a particular resource, like a page on your site, that had a, a whole bunch of links, but a disproportionate amount of traffic, that they might count that as spam and demote that page. So that's saying if you have one page on your site that has, say, thousands of links, but nobody's actually clicking on those links, that that's an indication that you have perhaps been building spam links. And in that, according to that patent, they would actually demote the rankings of that page. So that tells me that yeah, Google's looking, they have the ability to look at whether links are being clicked on. A couple of years ago, John Mueller in a Google help hangout, somebody asked him about whether it would be against Google's guidelines to approach sites that had resource pages, and say, hey, could you include my site on your list of resource links? And John said, that's totally within the guidelines. I mean, if the site owner wants to include your your site there. But he said, it might not be that helpful if it's a link that nobody ever clicks on. How interesting is that, right? And that was a couple of years ago. So now he might just be talking from a user perspective, like getting a link on an outdated resource page that nobody ever visits. Doesn't really help as far as getting users. But I think, honestly, I mean, we know that links of all sorts can help even if they aren't clicked on. But I kind of feel like links that are clicked on are given way more value in the algorithms now.
0: And we also know that click through rate from search results impacts ranking. So we know that Google is using, you know, it is using click through rate in elements of its algorithm to to impact ranking. So that's entirely logical. Really, really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a book that is really interesting. For anybody who's interested in Google, it's called In the Plex by Stephen Levy. And it talks about how Google's, in their early first algorithms, they used something called the long click versus the short click to determine whether a site was good. And so if you, if you had two sites that were ranking well on a search result, And consistently, when users clicked on site A, if it was a short click and they went right back to the Google search results again, that would be an indication of lower quality. And a long click would mean that you stayed on that site and didn't go back to do another Google search. And I still think that that is in some way a factor today. Like, I don't think it's black and white, like, oh, if you can keep people on your site for longer, then you'll rank higher. But I do think that Google, again, like right from the beginning, Google was trying to figure out what sites are the most helpful to people.
0: Yeah, I guess there has to be with with something like that, there has to be a balance because people might have searched for the wrong thing and they might have used a different phrase or something. So I guess they'll be looking at if people bounce straight back to search and they amend their search, then that would give one type of feedback. Whereas if they bounce straight back to search and they just try another site for the same search, that would give Another kind of feedback that would maybe say, okay, so the first site I went to actually wasn't really relevant or doesn't answer my question.
1: Yeah, and there have been people who have done tests on this. I was at a conference once where Rand Fishkin from Moz said, "Okay, everybody, pull out your phones and do this search, and everybody click on—I oh, think it was like the number seven result or something uh, one particular website—and within minutes, that website was ranking much, much higher, and so." I do think that Google uses those, the click factors, but on a large scale. I mean, there were several thousand people there, so that kind of made sense. And then I saw shortly after that happened. There were all these ads in my Facebook feed for like, hey, we'll click on all your sites for you and you'll rank better. You know, like, so as soon as something comes out as like, hey, this is a factor, then somebody's gonna try to abuse it, right? And then you know that it's not as simple as that. And I don't I, if I recall right, I don't think that site retained those rankings. So, you know, I don't think it's where we all have to build bots to go out and and click our, our sites all the time. That that type of thing's not gonna work. But it, I mean, again, it's it shows how Google. Tries to do everything they can to say, well, people are really liking this site right now, so maybe we should rank it higher.
0: It's terrible, isn't it? As soon as you mentioned the click-through rate on internal links or uh, you know inbound links, I was thinking, okay, so how could we use a bot to manipulate that? It's it just seems to be how the SEO uh, how the SEO mind is wired. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: I want to ask you about naughtiness. We took we talked a bit about uh, PBNs earlier. What have you seen people, or what are you still seeing people do? which is working positively for them, which you don't think is going to be so effective in the years to come.
1: Yeah, right. So, you know, as soon as I answer this, everybody's going to be like, hey, Marie Haynes says we should all be doing this. But um, (laughs) (laughs) that's not the case. So I do think that in a lot of cases, PBNs are, are working. But I honestly, so I had a client that came to me a couple of weeks ago and they had just started purchasing links. And within like I want to say it was either a few days or a couple weeks they got a manual action. So they purchased these links that were put on private blog networks. Within days or weeks they got a manual action. And I really think that Google is like, okay, we we figured out a lot of private blog networks, and some of them might still work, but it's getting harder and harder. So the thing that I think is really going to take a big hit, and it's going to be devastating to a lot of sites, is guest posting. Now. We know that Penguin was good at going after really low quality spammy guest posting, but people are still killing it with what I'd call authoritative guest posting. You can justify the guest posts by saying, well, in a lot of cases, people aren't even paying for these posts. They're providing sites with content and in the content they're linking back to their own site. Now. I'm not against all guest posting. I do it myself. I mean, I, I'll post something on Moz or on, on other sites and I usually do try to get a link back to my site in there. But the thing is that it's it, it's about scale. So I think Google's totally fine with you doing some guest posting that makes sense for your business. So when I post on Moz, immediately I get an uptick in people who are looking for my services. It's really good for my business. I see sites that are employing you know, very well-known expensive agencies that are doing guest posting on a, a crazy scale those links i can guarantee you like very few of them are getting clicked on it's working it's working really well i don't think google's going to start to be to penalize for this because in some sense like the people who are publishing those posts they are making an editorial decision to publish it publish it and if no money crosses hands you know we could say like okay maybe this is a valid link but I think that Google will start to work something into the algorithm that if you have a lot of links like this on a large scale, they're just going to stop counting them. I have a feeling that when this starts happening, we're going to see a lot of sites that have paid for you know high quality SEO that are going to see a slow erosion in traffic as Google figures out which links are valuable links and which are guest posting links.
0: I guess given that it would make sense to work in click-through rate and the amount of traffic coming through those links as well because i I see a lot of don't want to mention them by name, but a br- brand name sounds like an overweight person, and they have a like an outsourced link building thing and they they target agencies quite heavily and I think anything like that which is which is supposed to be something which is natural, but it's obviously done at massive massive scale, and they've systemized it crazy, so it's gonna leave a footprint isn't it so Google needs a way to identify. Which links are legit and which have been made through some kind of mass systemized process, I, I guess, which is which is is a blatant attempt at manipulation, isn't it? So?
1: yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, scale. So you could take anything that could be a good link and if you find a way to scale it, then you're going to push it into the the realm of unnatural links. A really good example of this is uh, it went rampant for a while is scholarship links. So, you know, you see a lot of businesses that create a scholarship and, uh, and then you can outreach to colleges and and get links back. And that in some, in some instances is just fine. But then you see people that, you know, you see the plumber that has the like, unclog your toilet scholarship, you know, and I made that up. But you know what I'm talking about? You see these like keyword anchored links from scholarships. And I haven't, personally seen any manual actions that I think were directly because of scholarship links but I think it can happen you know if I sponsored a local little league team and I happen to get a link back to one of my sites Google's not going to get mad at that but then if all of a sudden I'm sponsoring a hundred different teams across the country then that type of thing all of a sudden the scale makes it an unnatural link
0: yeah I completely agree okay this has been absolutely fantastic, Marie. Before you wrap up, what's the worst piece of advice that you still see people giving about SEO? <laughs> the worst. <laughs> I
1: think just because this is the, an area that I'm in a lot, I see a lot of bad advice about disavowing still. I actually worked on a traffic drop assessment just this week of a site that I looked at it and I was like, you know what? This is a good site. It, I don't understand. And I went, I'd spent a whole week Reviewing this site, and I was getting frustrated because people pay me good money to do these reviews, and I didn't have any answers for them. And then I finally get to the point where I'm like, oh, I guess I should look at their backlinks because the site had never done any SEO. They'd never paid any links for any links. So I thought, it's very unlikely to be due to the links. And when I opened the disavow file, they had disavowed almost every one of their links. What happened was that they took some advice on disavowing based on link metrics. And so they, you know, they looked at the, the page rank of every site, which now that we don't have toolbar page rank, if you use one of those tools, every site's going to have a page rank zero and then blindly put all those links into their disavow file. And so I think there's a lot of bad advice about disavowing out there. And I think now that Penguin apparently no longer demotes sites there are very few people that actually need to use the disavow file. And I, I see people all the time that are shooting themselves in the foot by disavowing the link because maybe it's a site-wide link or it's a, it has a keyword anchor, but it's actually like it was a natural mention and it's a fantastic link, but they're so worried about getting a penalty that they're disavowing. So yeah, I would say that's my biggest peeve right now is the people that are avidly recommending disavowing. I, I still do some disavow work when it makes sense, but it's really, really cut down dramatically. So that's probably my, uh, my biggest peeve right now is, is people who are trying to get people to disavow so many links.
0: Oh, well, at least it must have been a fairly quick turnaround, right? (laughs) We just
1: just, uh, filed a a blank disavow file today. So hopefully they'll let me write a case study on it and we'll see. uh, They should crawl back to their their normal rankings again soon.
0: Always great to see when a client is standing on their own neck. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Marie, this has been absolutely fascinating. Really, really, uh, really enjoyable. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, Where can people find out a bit more about you and uh, contact you if they need some help?
1: Sure. My site is mariehaines.com. And uh, there's a neat story about that. It used to belong to a Marie Haynes who writes erotic novels. That's not me. So it's just SEO stuff on there. Nothing crazy. And uh, you can find oh. me <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> at Marie underscore Haines. And I do have, if I can put in a little plug for my newsletter, I have a newsletter, which if you go to my site, you'll see a, a bar at the top of the site that'll take you to my newsletter. And every two weeks I write really thorough stuff about whatever Google has changed and their algorithms that we're aware of and, and anything else that um, you might need to keep up on. And there's a paid version of the newsletter as well that every two weeks you get really, really good tips on improving your site. And so I'll put in a little plug for that
0: too. Perfect. And we'll include a link to those in the show notes as well. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us in this episode. I hope you found it really useful. Don't forget that if you want a free website and digital marketing review of your site, complete with a bespoke plan, which you can follow to increase the traffic and sales that you get from it, then you can head over to www.exposureninja.com forward slash review. Now we'll deliver this report to you, usually within a few working days, as a 20 minute video, which will show you behind the scenes on your competitors' digital marketing campaigns. And as I say, map you out a custom plan that you can follow to increase the leads and sales that your website generates. So head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review.